The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. The gentleman was in the war, and he was flying an airplane over the enemy lines, and his airplane was shot down, and he landed in enemy territory. He was captured, and he was taken good care of. They took him to a, a field hospital because he had some pretty serious injuries. It got to the point where they were actually going to have to amputate his right hand. And so he made this request. He said, listen, you've treated me very well, even though I'm your enemy. He said, but if you must amputate my hand, I ask this one request. All I ask is that you take that amputated hand, you package it, and you send it to my native land so it can be buried on my native soil. They thought about this, and they said, all right, we'll do it. And that's exactly what they did. A week or so later, they came to him and said, we're sorry, but the infection has spread up into your arm. We're going to have to amputate your entire arm. He said, you've taken good care of me. Thank you. I trust you. All I ask is that if you must amputate my arm, that you package it up and you send it to my native land so it can be buried in my native soil. They said, all right, we'll do that. So they did it. A couple of weeks later, they said, we're sorry, but your right foot hasn't become infected. This is a true story. They said, your right foot has become infected as well. We're going to have to amputate it. He said, all I ask is this, that you package it up and send it to my native land so it can be buried in my native soil. They thought. They said, all right, we'll do it. A week or so later, they said, we're sorry, your right leg has become infected. We're going to need to amputate it. He said, all I ask is that you package it up and send it to my native land. They thought about this for a while, and then they said, no, we're not going to do it. And he said, why? Why won't you do it? They said, we think you're trying to escape. <laughs> why is that story funny to us? It's funny because we intuitively recognize that it's impossible. We know that a person can't escape piece by piece because we know that we are more than the sum total of our body parts. We intuitively recognize that our life consists of more than what we can touch and see. We intuitively recognize that there is literally more to us than meets the eye. Well, if there's more to us than meets the eye, then what exactly are we? What are we at our very core? I became a follower of Jesus when I was 19 years of age. And the year before that was a really transitional, impactive year for me. And one of the most impactful moments for me was kneeling at a casket. One of my friends named Andrew was killed in a car accident. And he had a funeral, and at his funeral, it was a Catholic funeral, and so people were to go and to kneel at his open casket. I wasn't a follower of Christ. I, I went and I knelt at this casket, and I remember kneeling, and his face was right there, like a foot and a half from my face. And I remember kneeling with my hands clasped, not really knowing what to do, but just staring at his corpse. And I remember thinking, where are you? I was just with you a few days ago talking, chatting, planning, laughing. But where are you now? What, what is this? What is life? What is death? That moment was a key step in my journey towards becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. It was at that moment that I began to seriously ponder the nature of reality. It was at that moment when I began to consider the existence of and the importance of something called the soul. So what is a soul? 
Well, everyone who's ever watched a Bugs Bunny cartoon knows what a soul is. When Bugs Bunny put a stick of dynamite in Daffy Duck's pants, Daffy would explode. And then a transparent image of Daffy would rise from the battered body as he floated away with wings and a harp, right? I mean, for many of us, that cartoon is the sum total of our understanding when it comes to a soul. It's our goal over the next three weeks to broaden that understanding. As we begin a new series, we've entitled SOS. Now, if English isn't your first language, you're wondering, what's sauce? What's SOS? SOS is the universal symbol meaning save our souls. If you're ever lost or on some desert island somewhere, do what the young lady in our video did. Form SOS on the beach somewhere. That's the universal symbol of distress. Well, in this series, we're not only going to learn some facts about our souls, but we're going to learn how to take care of our souls as well, how to rescue our souls, how to save our souls. It's a series designed to help us to understand and to strengthen the deepest part of us. So let's begin by answering the foundational question that's on your outline today. What is a soul? Probably the simplest way to answer this question is this. The soul is the part of you that is not physical. Think in those terms. The soul is the part of you that's not physical. You can't put a soul under a microscope. You can't put a soul in a test tube. You can't see a soul with an x-ray. You can't weigh a soul on a scale. The Bible teaches that your soul is the part of you that's not physical. You say, well, where does the Bible teach that, Darren? Well, I want you to ponder the implications of a passage of Scripture with me. The passage is found in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm asking you to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You say, Darren, I don't own a Bible. Well, then you are in the right place today. If you don't own a Bible, take the copy of the Bible that's in the back of the pew in front of you. That is now yours. That is our gift to you. Take that. Or you can also follow on the side screens. Or you can do both. Take that copy and follow along in the side screens as well. The writer of this letter, 2 Corinthians, is a man named Paul. He's writing to a church in the ancient city of Corinth, explaining to them that God is able to help and encourage them. Corinth is in modern-day Greece. God's able to help them even in the most difficult of circumstances. Paul explains that even the worst-case scenario... Death has a positive side to it when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I are going to walk through this passage over the next five minutes or so, so you're going to need to follow along and focus with me here for a moment. Let's start reading together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen, that's just temporary, but what is unseen, ah, that's eternal. Okay, let's hit the pause here for a moment. Paul is drawing a distinction between two realms, the outward physical realm and the inward spiritual realm. Paul is saying there is more to our reality than what you and I can physically see. 
Okay, let's keep reading as Paul builds on that distinction. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Again, let's pause for a moment so we're clear. Paul is using some poetic language here. He's likening our present physical bodies to an earthly tent. And he's likening our future heavenly bodies to a building from God, an eternal house, not built by hands. Do you see the contrast he's trying to make? Hey, compared to what we have waiting, what God has waiting for us, what we have now, it's just a tent. It's frail. This body's fragile. It's a temporary shelter compared to what we will have. What we will have in the future is a house, an eternal house. And it's not built by some humans. It's built by God himself. Okay, let's keep reading. He says, meanwhile, until we get this heavenly body, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed we will not be found naked what what's he talking about clothed naked we'll learn in a second he says for while we're in this tent we groan and we're burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life paul is now getting to his point He's talking about the anxiety that we all have about dying. He calls that anxiety, it's like a groaning. He's saying, listen, none of us want to die. None of us want to go through the experience of being separated from our bodies. None of us want to become a disembodied spirit. If we had the choice, we'd rather go directly from this body, our tent, to our next body, our heavenly house. None of us want to be a disembodied spirit, a spirit without a body. Paul likens that to being naked. He calls that being naked. Not having, having a body, just being a floating spirit. He says that's like being naked. Okay, let's keep reading. Therefore, we're always confident and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are actually away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying none of us want to be a disembodied spirit, but there's actually quite a positive side to being a disembodied spirit. He's saying as long as we're in our earthly body, we're actually limited in our relationship with God. Right now, our relationship with God has to be by faith, since we can't see him face to face like we will be able to one day. So, while being a disembodied spirit or naked isn't ideal, it's better actually than what we have now. Because when we're disembodied spirits, we'll at least be in the direct presence of God. And he then concludes by saying, So, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And it's this last verse that nails the truth that I want us to see. We make it our goal to please him. Look at this. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Do you see it? Notice your existence is not dependent upon your body. Notice that you can exist without a body. Notice that we exist whether we are at home in our body or whether we are away from our body. Either way, we still exist. That 
tells us that at our core, we are more than physical beings. And that part of us that's not physical is what the Bible calls the soul. Your body is physical. Your soul is the part of you that is not physical. There's a second key truth from, about the soul that we learn from this passage. Go back to chapter 4 and start at verse 16 again. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, not only is Paul teaching that the soul is the part of you that's not physical, but he is also teaching that the soul is the part of you that will survive death. According to the Bible, the soul is the part of you that will survive death. He says, what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. What is seen is the body. What is unseen is the soul. The body is temporary. The soul is eternal. In the very first book of the Bible, the writer describes really a sobering event. Jacob and Rachel were married, and they had a deep love for one another. Together they had many children. In fact, their children became the foundation upon which the nation of Israel was built. The 12 tribes were their children. Genesis 35 describes the last moments of Rachel's life. Let's read it together. It says, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Don't fear, for now you have another son. It came about, now look at this, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. By the way, Ben-Oni means son of my trouble, and Benjamin means uh, son of my right hand. So basically, in her anguish, in her pain of her last moments, she named her son Trouble. And, and the husband said, you know, I'm not going to saddle that kid with the name Trouble all his life, so I'll name him my right-hand man, you know. So that's what that's all about. But notice how the Bible describes the experience of Rachel's death. Rachel's death was depicted as her soul departing from her body. The soul is the part of you that's not physical, and the soul is the part of you that will survive death. Rachel's body died. But Rachel's soul survived. Her soul departed from her body. Think of it. Every person that has ever lived still exists. Every person who has ever died still exists. Every person that you have ever known still exists. Every person that you've ever heard about still exists. The dead still exist. The only question is, where do they exist? Do they exist in the presence of God, or do they exist separated from the presence of God? Do you realize that there's a part of you that's not physical? It's called your soul. Do you realize that your soul will survive death? It's true. When you die, your soul will leave your body. Where will your soul go after you die? 
Will you spend eternity in the presence of God or will you spend eternity separated from God forever? The choice is yours. And before you leave this place today, you're going to have an opportunity to make that choice. Let's do a quick review. Many people have an intuition about the soul, but a very limited understanding of the soul. It's our goal over the next few weeks, three weeks actually, to increase our understanding. And by doing so, not only gain knowledge about the soul, but learn how to strengthen and care for our soul as well. We're beginning today by answering a foundational question. What is a soul? What's the biblical understanding and teaching when it comes to the soul? So far we've learned that the soul is the part of you that's not physical, and the soul is the part of you that will survive death. This brings us to the third and, I think, most profound aspect of the human soul. The soul is the part of you that reflects the image of God. It's the soul that's the part of you that reflects the image of God. The soul is what sets you above all other creatures. It's the source of your unique value. Think about it for a moment. Why do we not have funerals for mosquitoes? Think about that. Why do we not have to file a report when a squirrel is found dead on our lawn? Why can we buy sprays to kill insects, traps to kill rodents, yet I can't poison my neighbor? Why is that? What is it about humans that sets them apart from all other creatures? According to the Bible, there is one thing that sets us apart above all others. According to the Bible, there is one thing that makes humans more valuable than every other created thing. Don't get me wrong. Other creatures are valuable and should be treated with respect. But biblically speaking, humans are more valuable. Why? What is it about us that gives us our unique value? It's because humans alone are uniquely created in the image of God. And we experience this uniqueness in our soul. Let me show you. Listen to how the Bible describes God. We just completed a, a Bible study series in our Christian education class, which will happen in about half an hour. By the way, I start the book of Revelation at 10.15 today in our lower auditorium, so join us as we begin the book of Revelation. But we just did a series on the doctrine of God where we learned about the nature of God. Here's how the Bible describes God in 1 Timothy 1. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. In John 4.24, Jesus described God this way. God is spirit. So the Bible teaches that God is invisible to the naked eye. The Bible teaches that God is spirit, that God does not have a body. That's why we are forbidden to make any images of him. He doesn't have a body. God's not physical. The Bible also teaches that God is eternal, immortal and eternal. So the Bible describes God as an eternal, invisible, non-physical spirit. But the Bible also teaches that God created us in his image. The Bible says in Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so I'm confused. What is it about us that is similar to God? 
It can't be our physical bodies because God doesn't have a physical body. So where and how do we reflect God's image? The answer is in our soul. The Bible says in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Literally, the word in Hebrew is soul. The man became a living soul. It's the soul that reflects the image of God. How so? Well, as your outline says, the soul is home to our intellect. The soul is home to to where I do my thinking. The soul is home to our emotions. It's in my soul where I have all my emotive feelings. The soul is home to our will. It's in your soul where you make decisions. All your deciding takes place in your soul. And the soul is home to our ability to relate to the spirit realm. The soul and spirit are are hand in hand. So the soul is home to the intellect, the emotions, the will, and the spirit realm. All of these are qualities that are unique to God and unique to beings that are made in God's image. Now, you see on the platform beside me, I have this chest of drawers. And you've been wondering the whole sermon, why is there a chest of drawers on the platform? What's going on here? Well, Many people, I'm sure we all have chest of drawers or have at some point in our life, and we organize our chest of drawers according to each drawer. Like each drawer usually has something unique. You know, let's say the top one might be your sock drawer, okay? And then, so you have all your socks in that one. The next one, okay, might be your underwear drawer, okay? And, uh, and then the next one could be your shirts, okay? You've got your shirts, your shirt drawer. And then the last drawer could be your pant drawer. You keep your pants, okay? Trousers, if you're British, okay? So, think in these terms. Think of your soul as a chest of drawers. Your soul is a chest of drawers. And your soul contains four drawers. And each drawer is home to a unique faculty or ability, okay? Each drawer is home to a unique faculty or ability. So the top drawer, think of that as your intellect. That's your soul, one soul, but that top drawer is your intellect. That's the home of your mind, your thoughts, your reasoning, your self-awareness, your beliefs happens in that intellect drawer of your soul. Then the second drawer, that's your emotions. And it's in that drawer where it's the home of your feelings and your emotive responses. And then the next drawer is your your will. It's in that drawer where you're making your decisions as influenced by your intellect and your emotions. But that's the home of your power to choose, your your volition, your unique, unique power to choose. And then that fourth drawer is the spirit. It's in this drawer that enables us to interact with the realm of the Spirit and interact with God. One dresser, four drawers. One soul, four distinct faculties or abilities. And by the way, I I thank Dr. J.P. Moreland for this illustration. It's from his uh, research and writings that I got this illustration of the chest of drawers from J.P. Moreland. One dresser, four drawers. One soul, four distinct faculties or four distinct abilities. So now, 
with that understanding, when I read Psalm 103, verse 1, it takes on a fuller meaning to me. You know, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Or praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Now when I read that verse, I'm thinking, yes, my entire soul will praise the Lord. My intellect, my emotions, my will, my spirit, all that is within me will praise his name. All the drawers of my soul, my very core being, I will uh, use to, to praise God's name and acknowledge his name. My entire soul will praise the Lord. My mind, my emotions, my will, my spirit. Which brings us to the big idea of today. At Broadway every week, we do our best to summarize the teaching in one simple statement. Here's the teaching in one simple statement. I don't have a soul. I am a soul. I don't have a soul. I am a soul. Do you see the difference? I am not a body that has a soul. I'm a soul that has a body. At my very core, I'm a soul. You could cut off my arms, my hands, and my legs, and no less of me would actually exist. I'm not a body that has a soul. I'm a soul that has a body. At my core, I'm a soul. And my soul is the home of my intellect, my emotions, my will, my spirit, my access to the spirit realm. My soul is not physical, we learn today. My soul will survive death, we learn today. And my soul is uniquely created in the image of God, we learn today. It's my soul that sets me apart from every other creature. Now, by the way, as we conclude, someone might be wondering, well, where does the brain fit into this picture? I mean, is my brain my soul? No. The brain is a physical organ. The soul is non-physical. But isn't my brain where I do my thinking? Think in these terms. As long as I am in this body, my soul interacts with my brain. Like a musician interacts with an instrument. If the brain is somehow weakened or damaged, then the soul is weakened or damaged in its ability to function. So I could grab uh, Phil's guitar here right now, and I could play it. And I can only play it as well as it is tuned. So if it's tuned properly, I could stand here. And in fact, I'll do this. I'll mess Phil up. I could stand here. Okay. Okay, so I can play this. All right, now. Okay, I'll. No, even if I go to bar chord, it still doesn't work. Why? Because even though I did not change in my masterful ability to play the guitar, even though that didn't change, but I was limited to the instrument's tuning in a similar way. Our soul is limited by our brain's ability to function. Well, let's conclude. You work at taking care of your body, but do you take care of your soul? You know what your, your, your body needs to be healthy, but do you know what your soul needs to be healthy? I've learned some valuable truths in this area over the years, this area of soul care, and I learned some of them the hard way. And I learned that it's actually possible to neglect your soul. I've done it. 
I learned that there are things that I need to do to take care of my soul. And next week, we're going to share some of the things that I've learned, some signs of a damaged soul, and we're going to learn in this series how to take care and repair your soul. That's starting next week. Let's bow our heads together, please, as we conclude.